The taste of water, I'm not kidding you, made me gag. My wife and I, about 10 years ago, decided we were going to try to be a little more healthy, okay? And one of the things that, you know, she encouraged me towards was to stop drinking so much cola. You know, I was one of those, you know, um, those carbonated, loving, soda-drinking, caffeine addict people, and all I ever drank was soda. You know, whether it be Pepsi or Coke or Mountain Dew, I didn't care. And I would break open a water bottle, and I'm telling you, I, I, I would say this to my wife, and she'd be like, oh, you're crazy. But I would drink, and I want to show you this, no longer true of me. I'm fine. I'm fine. There was a time I would drink water, and I really felt like I was going to gag. Anybody else ever been there willing to admit you're that much of an addict? Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, it was tough. I had a rule in my life. I had a rule. No water. I was not about to drink that stuff. No. It's funny how we are with rules, though. It's funny how we are with rules. First of all, I overcame that one. Okay? Now I pretty much only drink water. Occasionally, some half-cut sweet tea from McDonald's and daily a cup of coffee. But other than those exceptions, it's all water for me, guy. It's all water for me. You know, rules are a funny thing. We, we make up our own. Okay? We make up our own for ourselves. But the truth is, you don't like them. You don't like rules. None of us do. We we naturally do not like rules. And I don't know what rules there are in your life. You know, take your shoes off at the door when you come in, or no talking with your mouth open, or no running with scissors. Those are probably pretty good rules. Okay, you probably ought to follow those. But the truth is, we don't like rules. Rules are intrusive. They get in the way of what I want. Because the truth is, you know what what we all want? We all want to be the rule maker in our lives. We want to be self-directed. We want to be self-appointed. We want to be self-motivated. We want self, self, self. And rules get in the way of that. Now here of late... Uh, at Center Point Bible Church, we've been going through a series on the Ten Commandments. Okay? And today we're up to commandment number three. We're only at number three today. If you want to open up your Bible, you can do that. I'm going to be in Exodus chapter 20 in just a bit. But we've been talking through the Ten Commandments. And I don't know about you, but I've kind of felt a little intruded upon as we've been talking about this. We started out with the first commandment. That we shall worship only God, no other gods. And and our toes got stepped on a little bit, right? I I have some other gods in my life maybe that I tend to lean towards. And then last week we talked about how we are to have no graven images. And we talked about how that's really about us worshiping God truly. We're to worship the true God only. And we're to worship Him truly. We can't craft our own image of God. We can't come up with our own view of God. We've got to worship what God has revealed about Himself. Well, today we go to commandment number three. We go to another commandment. We don't like laws. We don't like rules. But you know why? Let me show you why. I told you to go to Exodus 20. I was actually a little dishonest with you. I want you to go to John chapter 3. Let me show you why it is you don't like rules. You don't like rules laws we don't like in our flesh now we don't like rules and laws go to john chapter 3 with me would you and jesus is answering this he's answering our our just our pre 
supposition that we are opposed to law. We're opposed to rules. We're opposed to somebody telling us what we should do. John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And look at what Jesus had to say. This is Jesus speaking in John 3, verses 19 and 20. He says this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Jesus here is talking about an unbelieving world. He's talking about people who who don't know and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Outside of Jesus Christ, without being a new creature, supernaturally changed now on the inside, this is what God's Spirit does in us. He changes us. Before you are in Christ, you don't like light. Light comes and exposes darkness. It exposes the things that I, quite honestly, before I was in Christ, I wanted to do. Before Jesus, I wanted, it was my desire, my only desire to sin. And those sins can look like many different things. Light comes into my life, the light of the gospel, the light of God's truth, the light of God's character, and it shines into those dark corners that are mine And I don't like that outside of Christ. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, do not be surprised that the world around us without Christ isn't very excited about God. Just get over that. Jesus told us it was going to be that way. Romans 8 verse 7 says that not only do we not like law, but we hate Law givers. We hate those who give law. And who is the ultimate law giver? It is God. Do not be surprised when the world around us that is outside of Christ hates God and hates His law and hates obedience to His law. But on the other hand, folks, you should be very surprised if you, as a believer, feel the same. You should be very surprised if you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, a new creature, and you don't hunger for God's law and hunger for God's Light. We're new creatures. God reborned us. He rebirthed us. And we have a new nature now. We have a new way. We have a new spirit. And so now we come to God in a brand new way. In a brand new way. And we want to hear what God has to say to us. And we have a desire in our heart to obey Him. We have a desire in our heart to submit our life to Him. It's now in us. Oh, I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying you don't struggle against sin. I understand the battle's still there. But in your heart as a new creature, you want to follow Him. You want to follow Him. 
So today we're moving on in our Ten Commandment approach here. And we're going to see that the solution for us, the solution for man, the solution for fallen man is the very lawgiver. The one who gave the law is the solution for man's problem. We see that we see the law, we see the Ten Commandments, we see that we fall short. They will never save you. You can't follow the Ten Commandments and please God or earn your way to heaven or earn God's favor. That's not God's economy. That's man's economy. That's not God's economy. You cannot please God by obedience. That's not what God has given us His commands for. What they do is they reveal for us a brokenness in us. God's Word says that we are not to murder. We're not to lie. We're not to steal. We're not to commit adultery. We're not to covet. We're to honor our mother and father. We're to worship only God and worship Him truly. We're to not use His His name in vain. We're to honor Him because He's holy in the practice of our life. You see, we see we fall short of these things. So it drives us to our knees. We look to Jesus, our Savior, and here's the amazing thing. Now hear me. What God does is He conforms us to His image. If you want to know what that confirming conforming looks like, it looks like His very character revealed in God's commands. His commands demonstrate that we fall short. His commands demonstrate we need saved. And then after salvation... His commands show us what God's going to do in our lives to make us more like Him. Okay, now get to Exodus 20. You Remember that first time you got there? That was just for practice. Um, go to Exodus chapter 20, and let's, let's look at the, the start of these Ten Commandments. Verse 1. And God spoke all these things, these words, and He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Commandment number one, here it is. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse four is the second commandment. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God is a cycle breaker. He sees, He sees the truth that when fathers and mothers do not follow Him, they can see the the impact of that in their own life to the third and fourth generation, you very well may grow up to see the fourth generation after you. You might, ra- you might live long enough to see your fourth generation after you. And you will see in that a wicked truth at times. That those who oppose God, it has drastic effect in those who follow. It has drastic effect. And some of you have lived this out in your own lives. And you have inherited from your fathers and your mothers before you a tendency towards sin. Now that's the first thing God says, I see. 
But the beautiful truth of grace in this part of the commandment is this. God says, oh, but my steadfast love. My steadfast love. It's not limited to three or four generations. It goes for thousands now. Thousands. Now, understand, nobody sees a thousand generations. What is God saying? God is saying there is eternal impact. There is long-term eternal impact for you who follow Him. It will last for eternity when you follow Him. Okay, now we get to the commandment for today. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord your God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now you can see that in the Ten Commandments, and we won't take the time to read the rest of them, but I just want to say just another brief word of introduction here to these. The, the first four commandments are vertical. Vertical. Worshiping God only, worshiping God truly, now not taking the Lord's name in vain. And the next commandment talks about the Sabbath. These are vertical commandments. And then the rest, numbers 5 through 10, are all horizontal. Honoring your mother and father, not murdering, not stealing, not lying, not committing adultery, not coveting. And the thing that I believe God is trying to show us, even in the order of the commandments, is you must deal with the vertical before you work on the horizontal. If you don't address the vertical need in your life, the horizontal is helpless. Jesus helped us to understand that He wasn't just talking about murder here. He's talking about hatred of your brother. Without dealing with the vertical relationship with God, you're going to hate your brother and your sister. The horizontal lays victim to the verticalless person. Without the vertical approach in your life, the horizontal has no hope. And God here, I believe, is laying these out in that way for us to understand. Fix this first, and then we'll deal here. Let's talk about this, the third commandment, though. Okay, it says here, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, you may or may not be familiar with how the Jewish receivers of this original word, how the Israelites, how they interpreted this. In many ways, I appreciate their zeal. In many ways, I I appreciate their, their desire to honor God. Here's what they did. They took this commandment that God gave about his character, and they 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 shrunk it down to a form that was quite quite honestly very easy to obey and even easier to judge with. And so what it became is is only a a, a prohibition against even uttering the name of the Lord. The the Israelites, the Jewish people, when they received this, they, they, they boiled this down away from what God intended, and what it became to mean to them was a a religious sort of proclamation against even saying the name of God. And so they they came up with little tricks to allow themselves to talk about God without using the name of God. Do you know the name of God today? The name of God, the Hebrew word, is Yahweh. You will see it often in most of your translations, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's the word Yahweh. 
Okay? What the, what the Jewish people did with this, now out of, out of their zeal that was misplaced, they believed they could not even say the name of the Lord. They could not say Yahweh. So here's what they did. And this is how we do. They took the name Yahweh, they took the consonants, this is an easy way to understand, and it's not exactly correct, but, but it's close enough. They took the consonants from the word Yahweh, and the vowels for another word that God uses for himself, Adonai, and they melted those together. So imagine we take all the consonants from your name, okay, L-W-L-L, and then they take the consonants from my nickname, I'm sorry, the, the, the vowels from my nickname, I went by Mickey, I-Y, and they jammed those together and they made up a word. You know what that word is? That's the word Jehovah. Jehovah. You've heard the word Jehovah? You've heard the name Jehovah? Jehovah is, was, a, was a, a Jewish construct around this commandment. It allowed them to think they were obeying God's law, but in reality, they were missing the point completely. So what is the point What is God saying when he says, do not use my name in vain? Well, let me help you understand that. First of all, let's talk about his name. I already mentioned to you what it is. It's the Lord, okay? You often find in your Bible. Keep your finger here. Go back a couple pages to Exodus chapter 3. And you can see where this is first revealed to Moses. Now, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay? Moses wrote that. He wrote that after Exodus 3 happened. So understand, Moses received Exodus 3. He received the account we're going to read in Exodus 3. He received that from God. God spoke to him. And then God revealed to him what he had done. And he recorded that in the book of Genesis. So Exodus 3 is happening in Moses' life before he writes down Genesis chapter 1. Does that make sense? Genesis chapter 3, we see God now speaking to Moses. Okay, look at it in verse number two. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Moses, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, saw that he had turned aside, God called to Moses, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Now there's a conversation that occurs here, but I want to jump down to verse number 14. I want you to see what God says to Moses. Verse 14. God said to Moses, now the the reason why God is saying this is, Moses has said, who should I tell even sent me? Who are you? When people say, who spoke to you? What is the name of this God? What should I say? Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now what this is, is this is God revealing his name. And I know it's kind of weird. I understand that. It doesn't seem like normal talk, right? That's because this is the name of God. It's very close to the verb, I am. What this means is God is saying, I am the one who has always existed. I am the self-existent one. I have always 
been. There is no start of me. There is no end of me. There's nothing before me. There's nothing after me. All of the universe revolves around me. I am, I am. That's what God is saying. And the name of God was very significant. Very significant. You see this all through your Old Testament. Let me show you one example. I think I've got this on your screen. Go to Exodus chapter 34 if you'd like to in your Bible, where God is going to reveal some things about His name to Moses. Exodus chapter 34. We'll jump in here at verse number 6. We're looking into another conversation that Moses and God are having. We know from the Word of God that Moses spoke with God as a man speaks to another man face to face. The same relationship that God offers to you today. God offers that to you today. You can speak to God like you speak to another man. Moses did. And here in verse number 5 and following, God's going to reveal some things about Moses. And listen, it's about his name. For us in our world, we have to understand, this is a different time. It's a different place. It's a different culture. In our world today, all your name generally is, for most of us, is just the sound of the, it's the sound you respond to, right? Lowell, and I come running. And, and, and you know, it, it doesn't really mean much. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't have much meaning. You know what Lowell means? It means lone wolf. That's what it means. Does that represent my character? I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe it does. But see, our names don't really mean much anymore to us. But that's not the case when the Bible was written here. Names meant something. Especially this name that God revealed about Himself. He's telling them something about Himself. In Exodus 34, look at verse 5. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Listen what God said. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is the very character of God. His name represents who He is. It's not just the sound He responds to. It's not just a series of letters that were attached to Him. It is who He is. The Lord. He is merciful. He is loving. He is gracious. He is forgiving. He keeps His promise. He doesn't leave. He doesn't forsake. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He comes to you broken as you are and takes you as His child. He's like a father to the fatherless. He calls Himself our husband when He speaks of Himself as the Lord. He is faithful. He is giving. He dies for us. See, when you say the Lord, it means all of that. It's a magnified name. It should be written very large with very large letters. The Lord means all of that. It doesn't mean, and I, and I guess I have to say some things I'm even uncomfortable even saying. 
It doesn't mean you're walking through the woods and, you know, an animal runs out in front and you go, Lord! That's not what it means. That's using it vainly. It doesn't mean when you hit your you know, thumb with a hammer, you say, God! This is taking the name of God and just callously just throwing it out there like you're saying Lowell or Mickey or John or Bob. No! To utter the name of the Lord is a huge deal. Every person that hears it matters. And they're hearing and they're interpreting something about your God. Every angelic or demonic being that hears us uttering His name either cheers in praise or hisses in joy that the name of God is being mocked. This is no trivial small thing. The name of the Lord matters. Oh, be careful. Go back to Exodus chapter 20. He says here in verse 7, he's speaking of the name of the Lord. And he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Let's talk about this taking in vain, what it means. It does not just simply mean saying it, although I think it does include that. To take, the Hebrew word to take, it means much more than just saying. It means to lift up. It means to raise. When you take the name of the Lord, you are taking it and you are lifting it up, is what it means. And the call here is to not lift up the name of the Lord in vain. In vain means wasted. It means empty of its original value. It means... It means devoid of its purpose is what it means. To put it in context, we are told that beauty is vain. Beauty, just, it goes away and then it's, you know, it, it just doesn't exist anymore. It's, it was wasted. It happens. We've all seen it, right? It occurs. We are not to take the name Yahweh of the Lord in a wasteful manner. And the warning is great. The Lord will not hold him guiltless now who takes his name in vain. You see, it's a big deal to God. It's funny. I have a name that's hard to pronounce. And I'm looking now. I don't see the person that we were joking about this week. But I have a name that's very hard to pronounce. And it's hilarious. You should, you should hear how people butcher the name Lowell. Okay? I, sometimes I meet somebody and I'll say, Hi, my name's Lowell. And they look at me like, they look at this weird. And I'm like, just say it with me. Ready? Lowell. And then they say it. They get over it. And then... And it's, it's really funny how we are with names. We just, you know, butcher it left and right. Loyal, Lau, Lowell, all kinds of things. And you know what? It, it doesn't bother me a bit. If you call me by the wrong name, I don't care. L will work for me. It doesn't matter to me. Because in our culture, my character isn't wrapped up in my name. But in God's culture, it's different. Now, I spent some time this week looking at every single passage that had in conjunction in the same verse, Lord, that's Yahweh, and name. 
You might find that kind of strange that I did that, okay? But I looked at every single verse in the Bible that had Lord and name in them. Because I wanted to understand the importance of God's name. And I just wanna, I'm just going to show you just a few things that I discovered that I really enjoyed. Okay? So in the Old Testament, just very briefly here, I saw in Jeremiah 15 verse 16 that believers themselves have been given the name of God. If you're in Christ today, God has given you His name. There's going to be a marriage ceremony, I think, next Saturday, I believe. Yeah, I think I'll be there. Would love to have you there. I'm telling you, I would love to every one of you there. I, I really want to, I want to celebrate marriage with you. So be there if you can. And at the end of that ceremony, there's a new name. There's a new name that's been given. The old name is dead and gone. There's a new name now. If you're in Christ today... All that old junk, dead, gone. New name is yours. Isn't that great truth? There's more, there's more. That we can trust in the name of God. That His name is where our help comes from. So when, you're, when you need help, when you have nothing else to pray, when you are so broken to tears, you pray, Lord, Lord. You cry out God's name. He hears you. He knows your heart. We get, believers are to give all credit to the name of God. Now, those are all Old Testament things. I want to show you something in the New Testament that I find just amazing. Go in your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians. I want to show you how important this name of God is. When you get there, find chapter 5. Find chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. See, this name of God, this name of Jesus, this name of Jesus Christ is nothing to be toyed with. It means a lot, and the meaning should mean a lot to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is really a horrible passage of Scripture. Because something happens that breaks everybody's heart. A believer a person who claims to know Jesus, a person who says, I have the name of Jesus, is drifted into sin. Not just a one-time occurrence, no. This person is in sin and staying in sin. I call it a cherished sin. It's a sexual sin. You can read about it in the first couple of verses. There's a sexual sin going on. And this believer is proud of it. That they have this sexual sin and arrogance they're saying, this is what I'm doing. And I want you to see what God calls for us to do because of the name of Christ. See, the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord, is a big deal. Verse number 3. Let me read it for you. It's, it really teaches itself. Paul writes, For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing, the sexual sin. In other words, I've already told you this thing was wrong. I've already shared with you that sexual sin is outside of the plan of God. So listen to what God tells us, these believers, this church, to do. And hear the significance of the name of Christ. When you are assembled 
in the name of the Lord Jesus. And my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Wow. You see what God is directing here? When we are gathered together as believers in the name of the Lord Jesus, we're not at you know, some coffee shop. We're not at your break room. We're not at the cafeteria at Spring Mills, folks. We are gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus. And this is a significant moment. And we are directed here to be so dedicated to one another that if you or I drift off into sin that leads to destruction, that we are to gather together in the name of the Lord and correct this one individual... And even it says, I mean, this is just beyond my understanding, to be honest. We are to deliver this one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? So that his spirit may be saved. Gathering in the name of the Lord is a big deal. It goes on. Jump down to verse number 9. I write to you in my letter not to associate with, this, with sexually moral people. That's the scenario. This one in sin. And listen, verse 10 is important. See, we're going to see the importance of us gathering in the name of the Lord. Not at all. Now hear this. He says, Don't, do not gather together with the sexually immoral. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. You see what he's saying? You don't gather with those who are in cherished sin. And Paul's like running over here and saying, but listen, I'm not talking about those who aren't in the name of the Lord. I don't mean that at all. He's saying, that's what they're going to do. I'm talking about those who name the name of the Lord. Do not associate with them. Not at all meaning the sexual moral of the world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. See what he's saying? If we're going to avoid those who, who live and cherish sin of the world, we'd have to go out of this world. But now I am writing to you not to associate, here it comes, not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of and then gives this list. What's your name? What's your name? If you have been given the name of the Lord, as Jeremiah says, if you have been justified and grafted in, adopted in to the name of the Lord, do not bear it in vain. Do not bear it. Do not take it. Do not carry it. Do not lift it up in a wasteful way. It matters to the Lord. It matters. And it matters to us who are gathered in the name of Christ. 
Listen, I am so fully committed to you that if I am aware of you not bearing the, the name of the Lord in a way that honors Him, I'm going to find you and I'm going to talk to you about it. And I am demanding that you be that committed to me that we will come alongside one another as brothers and sisters equally bearing the name of the Lord and not let it be in vain. Do not let it be wasted. But we will partner together. Partner together. Now I'm going to flash forward just, just quickly into 2016. Okay? Flash forward to 2016. Let's talk about now, what are some ways that, that maybe we could be, we could slip up into this proclaiming the Lord in an unfaithful way. Really, that's what the third commandment is saying, isn't it? The third commandment is not about don't utter these four letters. Although I believe it includes that. Really, what the, what the, what the third commandment, if I said fourth, what the third commandment is saying is proclaim the name of the Lord faithfully. Proclaim the name of the Lord faithfully. I've got four areas I just want to just walk through quickly. Okay? These are, these are warnings. Remember I said that all commands come with a warning and a wonder. A warning and a wonder. Here's the warning. Four of them. First of all, watch out you don't use God's name carelessly and crudely. Carelessly and crudely. What comes out of your mouth matters. Why? Not because people would judge you. Not because, you know, Pastor Lowell said not to. No. What comes out of your mouth matters because it is the overflow of your heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark. So be careful what comes out of your mouth. Do not use the name of the Lord carelessly or crudely. You you don't want to be proclaiming God's name because you hit your finger or because you're upset or because you're mad at your kids. This would be using it vainly and wasting wasting the very character of God that the hearer is considering as you say, God, whatever. You see, the very character of God is coming under attack then. So be careful. Be careful. And don't be crude in how you use the name. And believe me, I think this also branches into the language, other languages that come out of our mouth. Ephesians 5.4 talks about there should be no cursing or crude language that comes out of your mouth as a believer. Why? I think it goes back to this very point. It is a dishonoring of God's name. And his character. Okay, secondly, not deceptively. Not deceptively. Jesus addressed this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to 37. You see, here's a second way that the Israelites, the Jewish people, misused the third commandment. What they took it as primarily two things. I cannot say Lord, so instead I'll say Jehovah. Okay, that's around that. And the second thing they believed was that I I, I can give these sort of I should never give a promise that attaches God's name to it. And so what happened was, uh, what developed was a whole system of lying where you would, you would mislead somebody, but you would not say, I'm saying this in God's name. So in other words, you might say, hey, I promise you in the name of the temple that the sky is pink. And now I could be lying, but I didn't say it in the Lord's name, so... I'm not violating the third commandment. And Jesus dealt with this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. 
So be careful that you are using God's name. Don't use it in a deceptive way. Okay? So, you know, just, this probably isn't something you deal with a whole lot. But when you give your word, let it be true. Let it be true. Why? Because you bear the name of God. And God is a truth teller. So we need to be the same. You know, here's, here's a wonderful truth. I know Pastor Billy tells this to our teens all the time. How do you say it? There's safety in truth or truth. What do you say? There you go. That's what it is. There's only one thing you got to remember. And that's the truth. Once you start lying, you've got to keep track of all your lies. God's talking about that here. Okay. Thirdly. Not hypocritically. So, we've, so far we've been talking about what comes out of your mouth. Not using the words, just saying God and Lord, just carelessly, crudely. Being honest, not deceptively. But now hypocritically. Jesus addressed this in Matthew chapter 15. He talked about those that would say one thing, they would, they would act, they would, they would speak one way, and they would live another. Listen, we are the bearers of Christ's name. So you allow your, his character to come out of you. Jesus had strong words against the hypocrite. The person that said they were a follower of Christ, but did not live it. That's who Jesus dealt with. So watch out for that. Watch out. Let your yes be yes. That's the second sort of application I'm making. But thirdly, let your life reflect Christ. Hypocrisy is a huge stench in the nostrils of God. Because here's the truth. Now listen. When God looks at you, He sees His name. He sees His name. So let that flow from you. Bear His name in a faithful way. And then the last one, I want to, I want to, actually I want you to turn to. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. You know, the Word of God, it really explains itself. If you spend time in it, you will find things that explain themselves. Let me show you another very popular vain use of God's name. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to start reading verses 6 and following. I'll give you a minute to get there. But I think if you, if you just consider just for a moment about the inaccurate use of the Lord's name in our American culture today, you'll, you maybe feel the pain of God about this. Verse 6. Certain persons... By swerving from these, we probably ought to know what these is. You find it in the verse up above. Good conscience and sincere faith. Okay? Certain persons, by swerving from good conscience and sincere faith, have wandered away into vain discussion. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. These things, Paul is saying, are vain. And what I'm suggesting to us today is it's a vain use of the Lord's name. You say, Lo, what on earth are you talking about? Listen, it is very important for you as a believer 
to make sure and certain that you are worshiping in a place where God's Word is faithfully taught. We come together to understand God's Word. And the mishandling of God's Word is a violation of the third commandment. If I come before you and say, let me tell you what God says, and I'm inaccurate with God's Word, what am I doing? I am vainly using the name of the Lord. And folks, you do not have to be a biblical genius to know that in many places in our culture today, the truth is no longer being shared. It's no longer being shared. I want Center Point Bible Church to be faithful to God and His character. And faithful to God and His Word. And, and I believe with all my heart that that, that, is, that is the direction that we are in. That we are striving to be faithful. But what does the future hold for our church? What does the future hold for you? Maybe you get a job change next week. You're moving to someplace else in some other state. You find the church that is faithful to the Word of God. You don't find a church that has, you know, stellar music and wonderful this and beautiful life. No, you find a church that's not vainly using the Lord's name. All that other stuff is peripheral. All that other stuff is that's just animal. That's the drapes, folks. That's just the drapes. We're looking for the truth now. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses the same word here that the Septuagint uses in commandment number three and says, this is vain. Vain. The most important thing that we do as a body of believers is we faithfully open God's Word and we understand what God has to say to us. This is the most important thing It's also the best preventative in your life and mine. It is the best means of God conforming us to His image. It is the most essential thing that we have as a believer is to understand what God's Word faithfully declares. And the misuse of it is vain. And the misuse of it is sin. And we must run away from it. Paul is clear. As we get closer to the end... People will gather around them. People who will say what they're what? Itching ears want to hear. Say something I like. Like my dog, you know. Rub the back of my head. Say something I like. Hey, I'll tell you something you like. You can't keep the commandments. You can't be good enough to come to God. The only hope you have It's a crucified Messiah hanging on the cross for your sins and mine. Dying a death that He didn't deserve. In your place, He laid down His life. Placed in a tomb, He laid there for three days. Three days He laid dead. And they came back and looked in that tomb and He was resurrected, come back to life. And in that process, He conquered death. He conquered sin. So that He can give to us that gift of new life. 
See, death had us in a hold that we couldn't break. Sin had us defeated that we couldn't win. We could never win on our own. So Jesus came as the Messiah, as the sin bearer, and died in your place, and rose victorious over death. And now for you who have received Him, He places His Spirit in you. Conforms you to His image. That's news we need to hear. And it's not vain. Is it yours? Is it yours? George Barna, I don't know whether he's true or not, but he says that a vast majority of people who sit in churches are unredeemed. I think a vain proclamation of the Lord's name when he says that. But listen, there might be somebody here today and he's put their trust in Christ. Turn to Him. And if you're in Jesus today, know how much we have in our relationship, our personal relationship with the Lord, mighty, willing to forgive, merciful, steadfast love. The Lord is His name. The Lord is is a warrior. The Lord is His name. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, thank You for Your name. Thank You for the truth that we can proclaim about You, Lord. No matter what comes, good, bad, ugly, using it all to conform us to Your image, Lord. That's Your character. That's Your way. Father, we want to worship You in Your name, Your character, Yourself, Lord, all that You are. We worship You because You first loved us and have given us life. Thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.